All right, bring it in. Read option episode 99. That's over one away from the century mark, triple digits. Uh, once again, thank you everybody who's listened in this year plus we've been doing this. And I honestly, it's still kind of crazy that, you know, we're, we're at 100 episodes. And uh, I finally have hit this point where I forget things that I've said on the pod or that I have to go back and double check my, you know, four or five notepads I've gone through to be like, oh, did I, did I say this? Did, I, did we do this already? And uh, it's just, it's crazy. And I have, uh, I have sympathy for those who, uh, you know, kind of get caught in the web when you're, when you're out making content, talking every day. Uh, I am solo today. Scotty is taking uh, just a little personal day. He's taking this pod off. Vito was in Vegas. I think he then went to Cleveland, and now he's in Philly for this weekend. I I don't know, but like we said before, he is going to clear his schedule, so he will be there on Tuesday. So you're getting a solo little mini sports gumbo pod. Keep this thing short, sweet, and uh, and to the point. Uh, Got some NFL news we're going to hit on. We're going to give – my final four picks and how I think the final four play out as well as a little bit on one of the most cowardly uh, moves by a multimillionaire I've ever heard and uh, a recording artist nonetheless. And we're going to wrap up hitting that all NBA discussion that we wanted to get to on Tuesday's pod, but we were running a bit long. So we push it till today. So lots of stuff to get into uh, I'm also was thinking about this too. You know, we've done the random life shit a bunch on this pod. And so I have a notes app in the notes app. I have a whole page that's just like random life shit. Like literally it's you know, as the, as the title suggests, and I just go through and I add it whenever I have a thought. So I don't know, maybe at some point, maybe we'll save this for the, the hundredth episode pod. Uh, and we'll just rapid fire all the ones that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, and as well as once we have the boys back, we're going to play a new game that was inspired from my uh, my mom rock experience, which is the band that I saw on Sunday. So with that being said, let's jump into the NFL news of the day. First and foremost, yesterday, Bruce Arians announcing that he will be taking more of a front office role and is stepping down as the head coach. Todd Bowles now prom- promoted to head coach now there's a bunch of different levels to this uh but i was talking with a co-worker today and the first thing he said he was oh man do you see that bruce arians note news you know i tom brady forcing his way again like he's lebron or you know one of these guys and i've seen a bunch of kind of comments and people suggesting weird stuff and and not necessarily credible names because i think any of the blue check marks any of the people who talk about cover the league or around the league for a living are smart enough to, to realize that like, that's not, that's not how this works. All right. But I do think there is a little seed seedling of truth in these people who think that, again, we all jump to conspiracy theorists and, and the people who are still fucking talking about Will Smith. I don't, I don't get it. It wasn't fake. It wasn't fake. And you're an idiot. If you think that it is, um, but Bruce Arians retiring, quote unquote, retiring, um, basically prolonging this thing, kind of taking over in the front office. This is perfectly on brand for who Bruce Arians is. 
I don't think this was a Tom Brady decision. I don't I don't think Tom Brady was trying to flex on anybody or didn't want to work with Arians anymore. There's so much speculation that comes out because Tom Brady's more vocal, right? Like we we do this with athletes that universally we we hate, right? And and I think most people have come around at least a little bit on Tom Brady. They just don't want to see him win anymore. But it's hard to deny the guy's charming. It's hard to deny that he's not funny in commercials, that some of the more, you know, forward-facing stuff that we missed for 20 years of his career that we're, we're recognizing more now. But Bruce Arians, like, this is perfectly on brand for him. Bruce Arians is the guy who doesn't talk about actions. He's about the actions, right? That's, that's his whole thing when it comes to diversity in the NFL. He had multiple women on his staff. First coach to ever do that. First coach to ever hire a female coach, assistant coach. He's always, oh, and I don't even think it's an intentional. I, I'm, I should take that back. I do think it is intentional to some degree, right? But he's not hiring these people just because they're black or they're women or they're Hispanic. He hires them because they're damn good at what they do. And he sees that and he respects it and he wants to reward it. And he also has an opportunity to be a bit of a trailblazer in that regard as a coach. But this is the beauty of Bruce Arians is that he is the least, you know, center of attention guy that we have in the NFL other than, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, and, and a lot of football guys are that way too, but he's not doing these to be some white knight, right? He's doing this because he just believes in these people and thinks they're really talented and, and wants to make the team as successful as possible. And, I was a huge Todd Bowles fan when he was at the New York Jets. I mean, they weren't an amazing team, but there was a lot of stuff that he couldn't overcome himself. And yet those teams were still always frisky and competitive, and he had a winning season with the Jets. But the Jets, that's hard to do. We've, we've seen now very few coaches have, have even had that level of success, and Rex Ryan's really the one that comes to name. But Todd Bowles was not a bad coach by any means. He's one of the best defensive coordinators and defensive minds. He absolutely has respect, right? And, and, and that's such a massive part of this. It's the respect that Bruce Arians has and the self-awareness he has to recognize when it's his time to move on. When it's his time to say, you know what? I need a succession plan. And there was a quote from him today um, in when, when they announced his retirement. And uh, I want to read it for you guys. I'm sorry I don't have it pulled up right now. So i gotta got to do a little bit here. Um, but the, the, the quote was, was really, um, really pertinent to, I think, the, the kind of guy that Bruce Arians has been throughout his time in the NFL. And, and he talks about how important succession is is to him, you know, uh, the succession plans and wanting to be able to pass it off to somebody like Todd Bowles, who coincidentally played for him in 1982 when Bruce Arians became the head coach of the Temple Owls. Todd Bowles was the defensive back, uh, and his, he was a sophomore defensive back, getting ready, or freshman, going, getting ready to get into his, his second season. And here's the quote. He says, succession has always been huge for me. I wanted to ensure when I walked away that Todd Bowles would have the best opportunity to succeed and that Tom's decision to come back confirmed for me 
that it was the right time to pass the torch. He didn't want to hand over the reins to a coach who was inevitably going to get blamed. We've seen so many black head coaches have a shorter leash leash than any other type of coach, you know, and the numbers bear that out. You know, we, we talked about this stuff when the Brian Flores thing came out, the leash is absolutely short for black head coaches here. And if Tom Brady had, you know, gotten hurt or, or gets hurt, right. You know, I, there, there's so many things that can get held against a guy like Todd Bowles. And we saw it even when he was in New York, he only had four seasons there in New York and he did a pretty damn good job as the head coach there. I think he's universally respected, but I want to commend Bruce Arians here. Bruce Arians said, Hey, you know what? I know at 70 years old that my time has come up. I know my body is, is breaking apart to the point where, you know, he couldn't be in certain offensive meetings because he just physically couldn't move around his health. He's had multiple health issues throughout his career. And I think it was important to him, and he said as much today in his press conference, that he really wanted to be able to pass the torch to somebody who he thought, A, was deserving, A, to have, and B, to be in a very good position to succeed. He talked about how, you know, without Tom Brady, we're talking about an entirely different team here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's no way that the Bucs are this good without Tom Brady. Right. The roster is just not there. In addition to the fact that the most important position might have actually gone to Kyle Trask or they would have gone out and, and traded for Baker Mayfield. Right. But no, when you have Tom Brady, it elevates everybody around you. And to say, hey, Todd Bowles, you're a good coach. You've been loyal to me. You've worked your ass off. He's interviewed for other jobs. He's like, I want you to have this. I don't want to leave and, and, and have somebody else take this over or have Tom Brady get hurt next year. And then all of a sudden, I don't have the control, the power. I don't have this position to make the person, the next head coach, the person who I think it should be in Todd Bowles. And it's rare for first, not first time, but for first year head coaches to be really successful. And Todd Bowles is going to have the opportunity to do that. He's going to have the opportunity to do something that he never got in New York. And we also see that black head coaches don't often get a second shot. Right. How many times do we have to see Adam Gase? Right. Adam Gase got multiple head coaching opportunities, even though I think it was pretty clear across the board that, hey, this guy's not going to get a second. That doesn't happen for black head coaches. It just doesn't. And this is why I love Bruce Arian so much. Yeah, he's goofy, wears the beret, he does all this different shit, but he gets it. He told the story on Pardon My Take, and I've heard it in other places too, years ago, about when he went to Virginia Tech, you know, he had never really known any black people. And at the time, as a player, it was uncommon for white people and black people to share a room, especially down in rural Virginia, in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is a lovely town. But at the time when he's in college, you know, we're talking about the 1960s, right? So Bruce Arians roomed with a black guy and he like just didn't ever think anything of it. It's just another guy. But he was the first person at Virginia Tech to ever cross that barrier. 
And it wasn't even an afterthought for him because it, he's not, again, he's not doing it to be some grandstanding white knight hero. Look at me coming in and saving the day and, and showing how I can elevate. No, he does it because he just thinks it's the right thing to do. And that's the kind of person that he is. And I so admire him for that. And so when people have made this about, oh, well, this is Tom Brady, you know, they didn't get along. They, they fought. Okay. When Bruce Arians couldn't be in offensive game planning meetings and it was Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich being the two guys coming up with the game plan because Bruce Arians' health was a factor. I mean, there were reports all year about him, his body literally falling apart. He was coaching in the playoffs with a torn Achilles. That has so much more to do with this than Tom Brady and him not getting along. Brady said multiple times Bruce Arians was a massive reason why he even wanted to go to Tampa Bay in the first place. And you think about the coach, the guys he's worked with, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, some of the best statistical quarterbacks in the last 20 years. And hell, of all time. Of course Tom Brady wants to go work with that guy, the guy who wants to just air it out. Tom Brady got a taste of that in that Eagles Super Bowl where he was like, hey, we're just going to throw the ball. We, I don't have a defense, but we can throw the ball. We can move the ball. We're going to put up a shitload of points. That was like the end of the New England era for Tom, which was so much on his shoulders. And he wanted to go to Tampa Bay. He, I'm not saying Bruce Aarons was the only reason, but you can't minimize it was a big part of it. Tom Brady was at the press conference. His re this retirement slash, not demotion, but stepping down, whatever it was, the press conference in the Tampa Bay facility, Tom Brady's sitting there in the front row. All right, I don't believe that this was some big conspiracy theory. And I don't understand why everybody wants to jump to conspiracy theories with zero information. I, I, I will never understand that. If you're a conspiracy theorist and you listen to this podcast, please DM me at Jeff underscore Gimple on Twitter. DM me and tell me why you think that Tom Brady secretly hated Bruce Arians and did all this behind the back stuff to make this happen. This isn't like LeBron in the Lakers. I said that off the top, but this isn't that LeBron has his fingerprints on everything. Now, do I believe that Tampa Bay wouldn't make the decision or do all this stuff or that he wasn't consulted on this? No, I absolutely believe that he was. But he's not the one that went to the front office and said, hey, no, we got to move on from, from Bruce. I don't believe that at all. Bruce Arians let Tom beat Tom for the first time in 20 years. And then after two years and you won a Super Bowl in your first year. Now, all of a sudden, you, you can't stand the guy. He dealt with Bill Belichick for 20 years. And Bill Belichick was way more of a dick to Tom Brady than Bruce Arians ever could have been in just two years. It was a timing thing. And I give credit to Bruce Arians. I give credit to a guy who has the self-awareness to say, hey, my time has come. And I love this game. And I want to be able to give back to this game. But my time has come. And so I'm moving on. And in doing so, I'm going to empower people who are damn good at what they do to be able to take something that I helped 
build, something that I have immense love and respect and admiration for and helped build from where they were before Tom Brady to where they are now. It's massive for Bruce Arians to have that self-awareness to say, hey, I want this place to be in the best position to win as possible. And that means I shouldn't be the head coach going into this season. I give so much props for Bruce Arians for doing this. He said he was most likely going to retire after next season anyway, but he wanted to give Todd Bowles and all these guys a chance with Tom Brady while Tom Brady is still playing. And I got to say, I love that. I really do. And again, if you think otherwise, you're wrong. You just are. (laughs) Um, The other news here uh, that broke today, we had a free agent signing that we talked about uh, months, uh, not months, about probably three weeks ago when it first free agency first bubbled up. And there was all talks about Bobby Wagner going to Denver and then it was Baltimore and, and, you know, the Eagles threw their name in the hat. And there was a bunch of different teams who seemingly were in on Bobby Wagner where he signs with the goddamn Los Angeles Rams. And although it doesn't make sense, and I don't know where all of this money is coming from, the Rams are better. They're built better right now. The only real thing that the Rams lost this offseason was Von Miller. Because as much as I, I do like the redemption story with Odell Beckham, and I'm stoked that he got a Super Bowl because it did seem like the rejuvenation and everything was, was big for him. Allen Robinson going to the Rams at this point in his career and OBJ coming off of a torn ACL in the Super Bowl, Allen Robinson makes you better. They had to trade Robert Woods, which I'm sure killed them. But again, Robert Woods coming off of an ACL or Allen Robinson, a guy who I think has the potential to be one of the best wide receivers in football, but has played with the likes of Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles and rookie Justin Fields. So Allen Robinson, upgrade a wide receiver, you're going to pair him with Cooper Cup, right? They bring in. Bobby Wagner to shut down that middle to quarterback that defense. And what I love about that move for them defensively is how much it's going to help Jalen Ramsey. And I know that might not sound like it makes a lot of sense on paper, right? Cause the two do not play the same position, but my rationale for it is that Jalen Ramsey was the star, right? Him. And, um, and when I say star, I mean the star position, it's literally a position that they use on that defense where he can kind of freelance and be a little Ed Reed-esque, but more cornerback. And in the Super Bowl, Eric Weddle had the green dot in the back of his head. And so the two of them were coordinating so much of what they did defensively. Well, now you're bringing him in arguably one of the smartest defensive minds as a player in the league, a guy who knows how to quarterback a defense as good, if not better, than every other player, any other linebacker in the NFL. And to have that, I think is a massive win for them on the defensive side of the ball. And again, they lost Von Miller, who was a rental, but they still have so much talent. They bring back their offensive line with the exception of 
Andrew Whitworth, who uh, I believe announced he was retiring. But you just look at what this team is as a whole. I mean, you don't need – I mean, they still have Leonard Floyd, right, and Aaron Donald. So Von Miller's, you know, 60% of snaps. Yeah, is that a shame to lose? No question. Um, but they really didn't lose much. And they kept multiple offensive linemen despite losing Andrew Whitworth. But a 41-year-old, 40-year-old Andrew Whitworth isn't necessarily the best left tackle in football, despite the fact that he did play very well during their Super Bowl run. And again, I don't know where all this money is coming from. I don't, I don't know how, at this point, the Rams are even affording to pay these guys. But when you consider that Cam Akers is going to be able to come back fully healthy, they still have Daryl Henderson in there, so they still got a couple of good quarterbacks, right? Or running backs. You still got Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Van Jefferson as well. So you have those three guys as your top three. But then Tutu Atwell, they drafted last year in the second round. Super speedster. I would imagine he's going to get some reps at certain points this year. They are able to bring back Joe Noteboom, who's switching from the right side of the line. He's going to take over for Andrew Whitworth on the left side. And they sure up the rest of the offensive line is starters. And then on the defensive side, you have Aaron Donald still. You have Greg Gaines, who came out of nowhere to be just an absolute stud in their run. And, you know, they don't typically run a 3-4 where he's a nose guard, but you're going to pair him inside with Aaron Donald, and then boom, you got arguably as good of an interior defensive line as there is in the league. I would expect them to go out and probably draft an edge rusher in a class that is loaded and is deep too, so – the Rams should be able to add some sort of depth as a rotation guy, but you have Leonard Floyd who also pass, you know, rushes the passer really well, especially when they're running out of a four, three look and Bobby Wagner is now going to, you know, tighten down the hatches. So it's so to speak in the inside part, in the interior part of that defense. And somehow they've done all this and they're actually still able to work on a deal with Aaron Donald to continually make sure he's happy, which you, you want to do. And I just, I, to me, they're even better than they were before. And less need the GM, you just got to tip your hat because not only is he borderline revolutionary and the way that he came about this whole process of, Hey, you know what? We want more proven guys. We're going to sell draft picks, you know, and we'll pick up some supplementary guys, but we're just going to attack guys who we know are out there and are good. And we're going to get them on pretty team friendly deals. I mean, like the Allen Robinson contract for what he could be is an absolute fucking steal. They're going to have to pay Cooper Cup, and they know they're going to have to pay Aaron Donald again at some point. And you have to keep those guys happy because they're your two best players, offensively and defensively. But they have just continued to get better and better and better, and they're getting a healthy Cam Makers back, and they still have Daryl Henderson. I just it, – it's, it's just it, – at this point, it's getting, it's getting absurd how, how good this team is. Uh, the one hole I, I can point out, tight end would be great if they could add a veteran, right? Because Tyler Higby, uh, I believe he tore an ACL or uh, Achilles. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he had a knee injury um, in the playoffs there. And that's why we saw, you know, Bryson Hopkins come in and be the Super Bowl hero. Shout out to Bryson Hopkins. And I used to work with his dad over on SiriusXM. Brad Hopkins, great guy. Uh, so, yeah, I just. It, I need like a full length article 
that breaks down, that gets some quotes, get things from inside that locker room. I hope, I think somebody at the ringer, it feels like a ringer article to me. Just to document exactly what this is from a front office perspective. Because it really does feel like a very different approach to building a team in the NFL, which we've heard and been told for years, you have to do that through the draft. You have to build through the draft. Well, I don't know if you have to build through the draft anymore. I I really don't. I think if you have willing ownership and you have the right coach and the right pieces, I think you can build just as much through free agency, but you have to be so damn good at it. Your evaluations have to be perfect. You have to find the perfect pieces. I didn't think the Von Miller trade was all that great. I really didn't think that was going to be that helpful for them, but it was, it was massive. And it, we saw it in, I mean, Joe Burrow running for his life. And the fact that they got lucky enough to go up against that offensive line, as opposed to having to go up against Kansas city or Buffalo in the super bowl, the fact that they got Cincinnati made that even more valuable and that much more, that's much smarter of a move. You're not to say that they wouldn't have been able to beat either of those teams. I think they absolutely could have, but it ended up being a perfect matchup for them. And OBJ was getting ready to tear. He was going to, I swear, going to have like 200 yards in that game. Oh, that was the first, what, quarter of the Super Bowl when before he got hurt and tore his ACL. I thought like, oh, wow, OBJ is going to have like 200 yards. This looks like vintage Giants, Odell Beckham Jr. And the reports say that they still want to bring him back. But nobody has been willing to spend the money on OBJ yet. So at some point, hey, maybe he ends up being a late season addition again. They go try to run it back next year. And then you're looking at a wide receiver threesome of Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, and then Odell Beckham Jr. coming off an injury, which, hey, I don't know exactly how productive he would be after multiple knee injuries like that. But I don't know. I just – the Rams – have redefined how you build teams in the NFL. In a league that has been so traditional in this is how you got to do this and this is how you got to do this and is always reluctant to age, right, or change with time. I love what the the Rams are doing here. And I'm only allowed to say this because Scotty's not on the pod right now and he would be screaming his head off at me saying, fuck the Rams, fuck the fuck Los Angeles. That place is stupid. Well, they got a damn good football team. And they're going to try to make a run here to, you know, run the whole thing back. All right, we got the Final Four this weekend. I am I am getting very excited for the Final Four. My optimism as a Villanova fan is not great right now. I, You know, the more I've heard people talk about how, how impactful the Justin Moore injury is, it, it, it scares me. And as a simultaneous Duke hater, I really, <laughs> I really, really hope that Villanova, if they win, they play UNC and not Duke. Because I think Duke will run them off the floor. And I really don't want to see Coach K go out like this. Um, I'm not going to hop on the bandwagon, right? I, weirdly enough, used to kind of work with Coach K. He has a show that was on the radio channel uh, station that I worked for. And, you know, I only interact with him a couple of times. 
I, I don't want to do him dirty, but like he, he wasn't the most pleasant person to talk to. Okay, I'll, I'll put it that way. It wasn't unpleasant, just kind of like a grumpy old man, you know, not not exactly the most lovable guy. But we'll get into all that in a second, because I first off, before we get into my actual picks and everything here. Eric Church, the country singer. And I'm sure, again, most of you listening have probably seen this. If you haven't, Eric Church, the country singer, canceled his show on Saturday. Because he wants to watch the North Carolina and Duke game. He sent out a message through like Ticketmaster and stuff telling everybody that it was canceled. And I want to read it to you guys because it might be one of the most garbage things I've ever read. This is how he starts it off. It says, to the church choir. I guess that's his fan base. I don't know. Uh, To the church choir. This Saturday, my family and I are going to stand together to cheer on the Tar Heels as the team has made it to the final four. First off, he didn't even fucking apologize. There's not an apology anywhere in this. And he didn't. That's the first thing. But no, he starts off with this. He says, as a lifelong Carolina basketball fan, I've watched Carolina and Duke battle over the years. But to have them match up in the final four for the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament is any sports enthusiast's dream. This is also the most selfish thing I have ever asked the choir to do. To give up your Saturday night plans with us so that I can have this moment with my family and sports community. However, it's the same type of passion felt by the people who fill the seats at our concert that makes us want to be a part of a crowd at a game of this significance. Tons of run-on sentences here too, dude. What are we doing? Woody Durham always said, go where you go and do what you do. Thanks for letting me go here and be with the Tar Heels. Okay, first off, dude, fuck you. All right. You're not asking them to do anything. You're telling them that they're, this thing that they paid money for to go see you is less important than a basketball game. I get it. All right. If the Eagles were in the Super Bowl and when they were in the Super Bowl, there's basically nothing that I would have missed that, that would have made me miss that. Right. There's a list of things, but it's very, very small. To say that I'm asking, this is the most selfish thing I've ever asked the choir to do. Dude, you don't have to ask them to do it. There's so many different things that you could have done. J. Cole is on tour right now. You know what J. Cole's doing? He's streaming the game at the concert on Saturday night. So that way people don't have to choose. They can go watch him and they can go keep their eyes on the game and you get the best of both worlds. You get to go see somebody that you obviously admire. And he is, again, he is right. It is the most selfish thing he's asked them to do. It's the most selfish thing he's told them to do. I can't even imagine if this was a musical artist that I really liked. And I know how difficult it is to get to go see concerts nowadays. When my dad and my mom were growing up, my dad used to tell me all the time, we went to big concerts all the time because it was like five bucks to go get tickets because they didn't, they made money not through touring. They made money through album sales. Well, nowadays it's the reverse. Musicians make money off of touring, not through streaming. So the prices have gone up, but my dad could go see 
you know, the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or, or any of these bands, Springsteen, for five bucks, ten bucks. And you could go go do this and have this great time. I don't get to do that. We collectively now, my generation, mid-20s, 30s, who want to go, no, you're spending $200 a pop to go see your favorite artist. So the arrogance of this dude and, and the complete lack of care for his fans, for a fucking basketball game, dude. What are we talking about? I, honestly, I was rooting for, for North Carolina this whole time, but now there's a part of me that kind of wants them to lose just so this dude feels like even more of an asshole. Fuck you, Eric Church. Seriously. They're your church choir. These people have dropped arguably thousands and thousands of dollars, collectively over hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you consider the size of the, of the venue, how many people are going? A sold out concert. And this dude has the balls. The tour is literally called Gather, the Gather Again tour, because he hasn't gotten a tour since COVID. And you're canceling that? And you're going to then guilt people with saying you're family? <sighs> go where you go and do what you do. Thanks for letting me go here and be with the Tar Heels. But you sure as shit are going where you want to go. And you're going to do what the fuck you want to do, Eric Church. And it makes you look like a fucking douchebag. And I hope it tortures your career. I hope every single person who goes to that concert or was going to go to that concert stops listening to your music and doesn't pay you a fucking dime again. Because I can tell you if it was one of my favorite artists, I would have a really, really hard time. Because you got to save up for these tickets. You plan nights around. People fly in. People go all over the place for this kind of shit. And spend real money. And yeah, you're refunding them or whatever. But it doesn't matter, dude. You're blatantly saying that you yourself care more about a basketball game than all of these people who shelled out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to give to you after you couldn't tour for two years and you just gave them a giant middle finger. So I, I, I'm not trying to be like moral authority here. I'm really not. I just, this is gross to me. And then you see again, Jay Cole's like, no, fuck it. We're going to stream the game. We're going to put it on the screens and anybody who want to watch, you can watch. It's right up there and you can jam out and we'll watch the game together. We'll have a great time. This fucking dickhead, man. Seriously. Like Bo Burnham did a song called Pandering in one of his older specials. If you haven't heard it, look it up. And this is that this is the exact kind of douchebag that he's talking about in the song and making fun of in the song. Somebody who doesn't actually give a shit about the working class people who pay them millions of dollars because he's a multimillionaire. He's got a big old ranch somewhere. And he's going to come up there and talking about, hey, man, you know, I know what it's like to to work on the farm, to do this, to do that. Fuck you, dude. No, you don't. And on top of it, now you're just going to give a big old middle finger to all those people who, by the way, have been waiting two years to see you too. What a dick. All right. Final four picks. We're going to do some bet picks here. Uh, right now, 
Villanova, Kansas, 609 p.m. Eastern time on TBS. Uh, I, I don't know whether I like that it's on TBS versus CBS more or less. I, I kind of commend them, you know, CBS, like, hey, you know, why don't we try to get those TBS numbers up a little more, right? Um, I don't know. As a kid, I just I grew up loving TBS. I'm a big Conan fan. They always had reruns of Family Guy, so I've always been a little partial to TBS. Uh, right now, Kansas is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, this game is tricky because Villanova could win by 10 very comfortably. We saw Kansas get blown out of the building by Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's built a little bit different than Villanova, but Kansas is a team that wants – they want to play their style, right? They're like, we want, we want to implement our style and force you to play our style of basketball. And typically, that's how they beat teams. But the second you take them out of that element, they can't win big games. They get blown out, right? But if they can, well, they're going to probably win a lot of games like we've seen them do time after time. The only problem is, is that Villanova is the best at doing that exact same thing. Villanova is the best school program in the country at saying we are playing Villanova basketball, whether you like it or not, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Now, if Villanova comes out ice cold from three, they're done. They're losing one of their top scorers in Justin Moore. They're not going to be able They have to shoot the ball well. As a team. Now, Scotty brought it up uh, earlier in the week about how, you know, Colin Gillespie, one of his worst shooting performances from three in the game against Houston. Well, Luckily, that didn't matter that much because Houston, as a team, shot one of 22 from three and collectively all year is not a very good three-point shooting team. Kansas can kind of beat you in a bunch of different ways. They can shoot the ball from three. It's not necessarily their specialty. We saw them get hot down the stretch in that second half against Miami in the Elite Eight, right? But again, Kansas, they have really good athletes. They want to be able to bully you down low. And if they can kick out and get open threes, they usually make them at a decent clip. Thing is, is Villanova is a really good defensive team too, and their guards are not. I, I don't think Kansas's guards are going to be able to hang with what Villanova has to offer at that position. The backcourt for Villanova is just that much better than Kansas, but Kansas has the advantage in size and strength, which is why I really wanted to see Villanova and Arizona play because it was that same thing where it was like you had these gritty, tough guards for Arizona, but they're the beast. Of, of their or the meat of their guys, the, the big men, those beasts down low, those were the guys who separated Arizona from other teams. Now, Houston was able to kind of bully them first because they're just big and long across the board. And that's why I wanted to see Villanova and Arizona play because I thought it was such a fascinating matchup. And we're getting a slightly watered down version of this in this game, which I think will be entertaining still. But right now, I'm kind of leaning Villanova. There's something about it. No one's believing in us. It feels like everybody's on Kansas. Jay Wright's the better coach, right? At the end of the day, what I, what I say about the tournament, right? Good backcourt, elite get backcourt, elite head coach, and you have guys who are going to play in the league. Villanova's got all three. The only thing that Kansas doesn't have as good comparatively to Villanova is the backcourt. Now, you then also have to factor in the fact that one of the leading scorers for Villanova is no longer going to be playing in this game. 
which is a real shame. Because if Justin Moore was playing, Villanova would be my pick to win the national championship. I don't know where I'm going to lean in terms of actually picking the game yet, but for betting-wise, I'm taking Villanova plus four and a half. I think regardless, they're going to keep it close. And I think, again, if they come out and shoot the three well and they're doing this for Justin Moore, which that brotherhood, you can joke about all you want, but when they won the national championship or when they won and got to the Final Four and they won the Elite Eight and they're in the Final Four, the second that buzzer left, the entire team on the court ran to Justin Moore on the sideline. There wasn't jumping around with each other. They went over. They sat down next to him. They showed him the love because they knew that their guy was hurt and he was out. I believe in Jay Wright, and I understand I'm a homer on this too, but I, that's why I'm saying four and a half, you're still, getting, you're still getting points there, right? So take Villanova, take the points. But if Kansas comes out and is red-hot Kansas like we saw the second half against Miami, I think Kansas could blow this one out too. So I understand that, hey, you know what? It would be more sexy if Justin Moore was playing. But it's still a pretty damn entertaining game. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch. I'm going to root for my boys. I have to. You have to. You, if, you know, at this point, Villanova is one of my teams. I'm holding a Villanova basketball as we speak. So I'm taking Nova plus four and a half. Uh, the other game, obviously, the one that more people have been talking about is North Carolina and Duke. Now, one of our favorite listeners on the show, my buddy Ryan, sent me a text uh, when he was listening and said, why, why did you think it, it's such a bad thing for this Duke-North Carolina, you know, this whole matchup? Like, the fact that it, it was the semifinal game versus the finals. Um, and honestly, it's a fair point. And I might have been a touch over, you know, I might have been slightly overstating Um but he makes a good point that he doesn't think it necessarily be a bad thing if Duke and North Carolina overshadows the rest of it. My thought was that it reminds me of the 1980 Miracle on Ice, right? When the U.S. beat the Russians, that was in the semifinals. They then had to go on and beat Finland in the, in the you know, gold medal match. And no one ever talks about that. And you know what? I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. Maybe it just makes it a little less storybook. Like if this was Duke UNC in the national championship, obviously it would be better. But I think also as somebody who grew up not really loving either team, Duke or UNC, but definitely hating Duke more. I kind of just like, I just kind of like sick of it at this point, even though college basketball is not as big as it was when I was growing up and as it was for years before that. I'm kind of just sick of, of Duke. And the people around it and the associate, they're just, they're so fucking nauseating. And what's crazy is I don't understand why Villanova doesn't have more of that hate. Because I think Villanova is more like Duke in the 1980s and the 1990s than it is like Duke today. Like then Duke today is like Duke from those teams. But I'm just, I'm already sick and tired of the Coach K shit. And UNC is a really likable team, and Hubert Davis is awesome, and I'm all in on UNC. And, and I have been since the start of the tournament. I had them getting all the way to the Elite Eight. I didn't have them getting to the Final Four, but I did have them get all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to Kentucky. So, Ryan, you're right, all right? Is it a bad thing? Not necessarily. This game is going to be one of the most remembered college basketball games of all time. And I think ratings-wise, 
I think there's a chance it'll be the second highest rated sporting event this season. Now, there are some NFL playoff games, not just the Super Bowl, that might beg to differ. But I wouldn't be surprised if this game does better than the college football playoff, who didn't do spectacular numbers in either the semifinals or the national championship. But there's something about a letdown, and this is the one thing I'll say, there is something about a letdown of a championship game that's just a bummer. If you have a Super Bowl that's a blowout, it sucks. If you have a college football playoff national championship, it sucks if it's a blowout. If the NBA finals are a sweep or, you know, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson both shred stuff up in their legs, and all of a sudden we got, okay, I guess Toronto and Kawhi are going to beat Steph Curry just chucking up threes and trying to do everything himself. You know, there, there's something about a, like a championship itself being a letdown. That's just a bummer. And as much as I can appreciate how wild this whole storyline is, and again, I'm going to watch the game, and I've, I've eaten up all the content, and I've listened to people talk about it, and we're talking about it right now on this pod. So I get it. I get it. it's a huge deal. But overshadowing a championship game, to me, and maybe that, you know what, this is probably the core of it, is that Coach K has made everything this year about him and then is bitching and complaining about how it's not, you know, oh, no, it's, it's not everyone else. And my poor wife has to go through all this. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, you chose all of this. And Coach K trying to get revenge in the final four against UNC for the first time. This isn't about Duke and UNC. That's what pisses me off about this. This isn't about Duke and UNC. This is about Coach K. This whole thing is about Coach K. Can Coach K have the storybook? It's not about the kids. It's not about the players. It's not even about the programs anymore. It's about Coach K. And if they win, it's, wow, Coach K, what an unbelievable story. And if they lose, it's, wow, that was Coach K's last game and UNC just knocked them out. It has nothing to do with the players. It has nothing to do with the programs. It's all about And if that ends up being the overstating number one thing that we take away from this tournament is that this game, and again, this will be the number one thing. It's the guy who claims it's all about the kids and for years it was all about the education, making it all about him at the end. And then this whole run, this whole tournament will be nothing but Coach K. And I think one of the things that makes the tournament so special is the St. Peter's, right? When you have a team like St. Peter's and those kids that we all fall in love with watching on national TV, the Dougie Buckets, right? Doug, Doug Eater. We love those guys. Loyola Chicago, right? Like that, that is what makes it. It's one of the, it's just about the kids and the players and the stories regarding the players more specifically or, or the program. This is about a dude who is an absolute egomaniac and is also a massive hypocrite. And I'm just not cool with it. I'm just not. So I'm sorry. I I can't get behind Coach K in this game. Duke's minus minus four. I'm taking North Carolina to cover, and I'm really hoping North Carolina wins the game. But I'd be lying if I said in my gut, I think Duke ends up winning the national championship. I, 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 and I hate it because it's not going to be about the players. It's not, you know, even the coach Cal one and done championship with Kentucky and Anthony Davis. Like I remember those teams. I remember the guys on the floor. 
I'm not going to remember about anyone on this team. I couldn't name you anybody other than, you know, Banchero in the first place. So I just, I hate Coach K. I think that's what this is all this is about. I just don't like Coach K. And I hate that the biggest and most memorable moment of this tournament and one of the biggest sporting events this year has nothing to do with the athletes or the teams, but just one of the coaches. Because even if this was Roy Williams versus Coach K, that would at least be somewhat interesting, right? Because it would be like, who could, would Roy Williams knocking Coach K out in the final four help elevate Roy Williams to a point where, you know what, maybe there is more of a conversation. Maybe. I know Coach K's resume is ridiculous, but I do think that there's probably some truth in that. If it was Roy Williams versus Coach K, at least you had, you know, the enemy here. You, you would not enemy, but you would have the rivalry between the two of them. Hubert Davis, I mean, he doesn't have that kind of, there's no bad blood between he and Coach K. There's no ties there other than he played for North Carolina against Duke and Coach K was there. Just everything about this is about Coach K and it doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't. And so while I get it, it's huge for numbers and it's going to overshadow everything else. And if Duke goes on and wins a national championship, this will just be another footnote on the story. But this is also the highest peak that the story is going to have unless he actually does finish it on top. So this is a Tar Heel podcast. We are riding with UNC. I'm speaking for the boys here because I want Coach K to get his ass kicked. I want him – I want the karma – to catch up to him for making this whole year about himself. And I want him to have gotten that close only to lose to his bitter rival and, and just fucking end whatever this Duke bullshit is with him. Because I, I just, I can't stand the guy. I can't. Um, but my picks are, I'm taking the points on both. Give me Villanova. Give me North Carolina. But again, as much as I hate to say it, I do I am afraid that I I think Duke I think Duke is going to pull it off. And if it's Kansas and Duke, that would be a really good game. If it was full, fully uh, healthy Villanova and Duke, that'd be a really good game. But if it's healthy Duke going up against Villanova, I there's just not enough talent there and it, I also think if these kids can handle the pressure that they couldn't handle in Coach K's last home game, if these kids can find a way to actually pull this win off for Coach K, there's nothing that's going to stop them. It just doesn't matter. If they win this, they're going to win the title. And I really feel I just I can't imagine the momentum not being able to ride, carry through. You know, I really can't. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Dream Final Four for me would probably be North Carolina and Villanova rematch. And what would be interesting about that, too, is North Carolina would then tie Villanova's record for the lowest seed to ever win a national championship. And it would be fitting. Again, also, you know, the revenge and everything from 2016. But UNC went and won in 2017 anyway. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. And we'll wrap up the show with a little bit of NBA talk. And we'll get you on your way to the weekend. And... The final four. Close out the pod. And this has been a very ranty pod today. And I'm, I'm sorry. You know, sometimes it gets this way when it's one on, you know, one on one meeting me and myself in the Zoom. The all NBA voting is 
a very, very dumb and antiquated thing that we have in the, in, in the NBA, right? And in sports in general. For years, and I saw Nick Wright tweet this out. And at first I was like, oh, you know what? That's a good point. And then I, the more I thought about it, I kind of caught myself. Nick Wright was saying, you know, for years there's been centers, multiple good centers, and you used to have to pick between Russell and Wilt, right? Between uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and, and Shaq, right? You, you always had these two great centers who used to have to compete for who would win first team all NBA and that we shouldn't change it now because those guys did it. And I think in life in general, you spouting off tradition as justification for something is one of the dumbest types of arguments you can make to say, well, it's always been that way. So why would we change it? Well, maybe it's really dumb. All right. Maybe we should just appreciate greatness instead of trying to dump on each other. I'm seeing so many Sixers fans who are just actively shitting on Jokic. I'm like, I get it. Embiid's amazing. Embiid's had an unbelievable year. But so has Jokic. And you know what? I saw somebody say this today. Anyone who's picking Jokic over Embiid is just looking at box scores, not watching the game. Actually, unless you're talking about like the advanced advanced metrics, which most fans aren't diving through every single day, I would say the exact opposite. Because Embiid has better numbers, especially raw box score numbers, like this guy was saying, than Jokic. If I watch a basketball game, if I'm watching the Denver Nuggets play, what Jokic does is honestly more impressive. With a starting cast around him, that's Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green and Monty Morris. I, I love Joel Embiid. I'm a diehard Sixers fan. I ride with that team, and I would love to see Embiid win an MVP. But you get assholes like Drew Hanlon, who was Embiid's shooting coach, who just wants to take all of the credit because it's his guy, and he taught him how to shoot. And a huge reason why Embiid is where he is now is because of the work that he did with Drew Hanlon. And Drew Hanlon's awesome at what he does. But this incessant tweeting every fucking night as if we're talking about Embiid versus like Willie Cauley-Stein instead of Jokic. Jokic is incredible. There's never been a player at his size and his weight to score like he can, to pass like he can, to be second in the league in rebounding, to be a good plus defender. Is he the rim protector Embiid is? No, he's not. But this back and forth and, well, anyone who, who doesn't think Embiid is the MVP clearly doesn't know basketball. And it's the same on the other side. Can we shut the fuck up and stop acting like we're the fucking smartest people in the world? And that we're so much smarter than everybody else because our guy we think is better? They're good. They're both good. Why, why can't we just appreciate both? And that's why this all NBA thing is so fucking dumb to me. Front court, back court. You get two back court, your guard spots, you get three front court spots. The game is becoming as positionless as possible. I never thought the NBA would look like it does now in terms of positionless basketball, having seven foot pudgy white centers dicing guys up, being a runaway MVP last year. 
I didn't think I'd see that. And I also didn't think I'd see a seven foot three guy from Cameroon who can pull up from anywhere on the court, shoot 40% from three, get to the foul line, and then shoot 90% from the foul line or 88, whatever the hell it is. Can, can we all just, can we just, can everybody, to quote Bo Burnham here from inside, please just, just shut the fuck up. Enjoy what you're watching. I'm all for being a diehard fan of your team. But being a diehard fan of your team does not give you an excuse to be a fucking dick. And I'm coming from Philly. I know Philly fans. I know that they want to boo the other team. I boo people I know are sick. I've hated Sidney Crosby since I was seven or eight years old, whenever the hell he came into the league. I was probably about 10. I've hated Sidney Crosby ever since. And you know what? I'm going to admit something now that I never in a million years thought I would ever actually say. The whole time I've watched Sidney Crosby play hockey, I've been like, holy shit, he's so fucking good. And I have to tell myself I hate this guy. I have to. It's the only way I can rationalize it for myself is that Crosby's a dick. He doesn't play defense. He's soft. He's got stupid mustache. Can't even grow a beard. Deep down, we all know how fucking good Sidney Crosby has been and that he's arguably one of the top three to five hockey players of all time. So I ask everybody who is getting furious over this stuff, just appreciate it. Jokic isn't some, the Nuggets aren't a rival to the Sixers. Jokic and Embiid is, is a twit. It's two people who have fundamental differences in how they think a good basketball player is made. And they're just using the two of them as a way to butt heads and yell at each other on Twitter, which is honestly really fucking sad. If you're a basketball fan, if you're a genuine, actual basketball fan, you will love both of these guys. You can watch them and just say, holy shit, I can't believe what I'm saying. See, Jason Tatum plays for the Celtics. I think Jason Tatum's fucking incredible. And I get it. Sports hate is an absolute thing. But it trickles into real hate when you say this shit online and on Twitter and you argue with each other all day. And I understand I might sound hypocritical because I'm all fired up here, pissed off about this, these guys and, and these people online arguing with each other. I just don't understand that. How can you actually be a basketball fan and not appreciate how good they are? Because the gap in reality is super close and they're very different guys. So for the MVP debate, it's tough. But what it shouldn't be tough is putting them both on first team all NBA, which is again this antiquated style that people like Nick Wright try to defend because it's happened for years, and so it should stay that way, which is bullshit. If we see there's a problem, we should fix it. If we see there's a fundamental flaw in something, we should fix it. They're not both traditional centers. Embiid's more traditional, but hell, I can't even say what Embiid's doing is traditional. Giannis could be considered a center. It's front court, it's back court. When Wilt and Kareem, and Kareem and and Bill Russell and all these guys were up and they had to do the same All-NBA stuff for those guys, guess what? Centers weren't shooting 40% from three. They weren't being able to get to the line, get to the basket, and shoot the ball 
the way they can. They didn't pass like Jokic, who's essentially their point guard, where the entire offense runs through them. The only even remotely comparable version of that we've ever had in the NBA was Bill Walton, and even still, Bill Walton had other players around him. Basketball was so different back then. So as the game becomes more positionless, and responsibilities for guys who are seven feet tall in a basketball court aren't just rebounding, blocking shots, and dunking, but instead they do a whole hell of a lot more. How about we grow with it? So that way we don't have to sit there and go, well, who do we put there? No, well, Embiid's way better. No, Jokic is way better. No, well, Giannis is no. Put all three. Front court, back court, done. Problem solved. End of the fucking conversation. Both guys deserve to be on the first NBA team. First all-NBA team. Both guys have an absolute case for the MVP. And both guys are so much fucking fun to watch play basketball. If you like basketball, you should like them both. And I get it. Sports hate. It's a thing. I'm not trying to sound like the angry old man. or I don't even know what this is. I feel like I'm screaming into a void, just being like, wake, wake up, just enjoy the basketball. But that's not how it works because Twitter's a cesspool. And everybody needs to make themselves feel better about it. And honestly, it's really embarrassing for some people. I look at people who have these arrogant tweets, especially ones about like Russell Westbrook. There's one person I follow on, on Twitter who I swear she, I don't know. I don't know what the connection is, if she's related to Russell Westbrook or something. He spent one season with the Wizards, and she's like a Wizards, covers the Wizards, whatever. She's so wrong about Russell Westbrook, it's insane. And yet she's still so fucking defiant. And it's not even a clicks thing. She has a decent following. It's not even a big thing. I just don't – it doesn't compute in my brain. I don't get it. If you're a fan of basketball, fan of football, you should just be a fan of greatness. And we, we're so fucking bad at it now because we all need to A, be right, or B, are incapable of understanding that there are other good fucking basketball players on the planet and that the gap is nowhere near as far away as you think it is. Just because it's your guy. If we were talking, if Embiid was playing on the Knicks, Sixers fans would not give a flying fuck. And I bet you a lot of them would say that Jokic is having a better season. It's only because he's your guy that you let your brain get so clouded to a point where you can't be rational. And I get it. Sports at its core as a fan is irrational. But that doesn't mean that we can't still at least try. I let myself go crazy during the games that my teams are playing. But beforehand and after, I try to be smart and rational because I love the sport, not just my team. And some people might just love their team and that's fine. But then don't talk about like that Jokic is that much worse than Embiid because clearly that means you're not a fan. You're not watching. You don't actually know what the fuck you're talking about. All right. So ran over. I'm sorry. I just, I got heated today, man. I was stuck in work. I had to be on a benefits meeting. That was pointless. It was a long day. It's a long day and your boy needs a beer. So we're going to wrap it there. Bruce Arians, legend, Rams, really good at football. Eric Church, dickhead. Coach K, also a dickhead. Basketball players are good.
That was basically the last hour summed up in 10 seconds. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the final four. My official picks, Villanova and UNC. And the North Carolina Tar Heels win the national championship. I'm, I'm, you know what? No, fuck that. Villanova, UNC. And Villanova does the fucking amazing Cinderella run without their best player proving that Coach K can't even hold Jay Wright's jock. That's where we're going. Villanova, national champs. Enjoy it. We will be recording post-national championship on Monday night, ideally right now. And uh, I can't wait. 100th episode comes out Tuesday. Have a great weekend. I love you all. Take it easy, everybody.